1: Hey everybody! Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Spring training is winding down. Jim is still out there on the road somewhere. Jonathan is back home after his trip to I don't know where'd you go? Myrtle Beach? Well, yeah, I was talking about your spring training trip, but yeah, Arizona. Yeah, post post spring training vacation. So uh, and the, and now Jim. I believe you are in Florida. I am. Previously in Arizona. I was. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that on, on this episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Let's talk about some spring training, what you guys have been seeing, some prospects who have impressed in big league camp. We're going to talk about guys who are not necessarily vying for big league spots, but yeah, are we going to talk about anyone? It's, yeah, I think we are. Uh, we we'll talk about some... We're going to break it down into hitters and pitchers who are top 100 prospects and hitters and pitchers who are not on the top 100 prospects list. We are going to hear from Cubs number four prospect and 2022 first round pick Cade Horton, who took the time to talk to Jim. Um, and we are going to talk about some of the fastest prospects in baseball in the minor leagues. Uh, we've got a story coming out. Where we identify the fastest prospect in each organization, and we're going to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. All right, spring training, Jim. Where where are you right now?
0: I, I always like to my, know where,
1: where you guys are. Yeah. When I
0: talk. I am, you don't have. Oh, I know. You told me
1: you're in uh, wait West Palm West Palm Beach.
0: Correct. I was going to say you're just saying that to pretend like you haven't installed tracking on my phone or something. So
1: uh, <laughs> like you you, know, you, where you, you know, know where I, I am times. at all
0: times. But you're acting like you have to ask.
1: Yes, I am in... You're on to me. You're on to West me. Palm Be-
0: West Palm Beach. But you Palm told me Beach.
1: yesterday, so now I remember.
0: Correct. I'm uh, I'm in West Palm Beach. I just spent the last two days at both Cardinals and then Marlins Camp in Jupiter. And actually, in my last two days, I will probably not leave West Palm Beach unless I venture far away for food because I'm going to Car- uh, Astros and Nationals Camp the next
1: two days, which is based in West Palm Beach. Yeah, you said you you found kind of a the sweet spot there where you could hit all the camps that you're you're visiting from from that one location.
0: Yeah, this is the only location I would say, John. I, like I've done it before. The, these are the five. You, nowhere else in Florida can you stay in one hotel, I think, and have less than an hour drive to five camps. So very fortunate. Not much driving.
1: Yeah, you, you kind of matched uh, Jonathan when he was in Arizona. If you're in, if you're in Phoenix and hitting the various camps, you're you're pretty much guaranteed to be within an hour of of all of them, right? Yep, yep,
3: yep. That's the beauty of Arizona.
1: Um, okay, so let's uh, let's start talking about some prospects who have Im- impressed in big league camp. And uh, if you're listening and and are not aware, we're doing spring training reports from every camp. Jim, Jonathan, and Sam have, have just about completed the circuit of visiting all 30 camps and they are talking to um, player development people there and talking to prospects there and bringing you a bunch of goodness from all of those camps. Just about finished up. So you guys have seen just about everyone to this point and I know you're you know, paying attention to guys and game action as well. Um, so let's talk about first some top 100 prospects on the hitting side uh who have impressed uh to this point in spring training who's going to talk about zach bean here that's me okay we, uh, jim put his name next to his player but then next to zach oh, one, is just that's, his team
0: that's to- that was totally <laughs> my fault I, I put my name in other places just trying to keep you on your toes you were going to call the Rockies. Like we're going to pipe in the Rockies. You're going to pipe in the Rockies, and they're going to talk about Zach Veen here for a moment.
1: That's right. Yeah, or we're just going to start referring to Jonathan as Rocky. Rockies. Rockies Mayo. Tell us about Zach Veen. He's coming off a strong Arizona Fall League campaign and has carried that over into the spring.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's sort of he, he's interesting because he is doing Zach Veen things and then also showing the things that he needs to work on. Uh, what he needs to work on is his approach, uh, two walks, 16 strikeouts. Uh, he's gotten a lot of playing time, 48 at-bats. Uh, you know, uh, some injuries in the Rockies outfield have given him the opportunity uh, to play a lot more to the point where there was, uh, even back to when I was there, which was at the very beginning of March, there was a little bit of buzz or noise that like maybe he'd sneak onto the opening day roster uh, just until someone's ready. Now that's a bit rich for me, especially given that he, uh, didn't really set the world on fire in the minor leagues last year, especially once he got up to double A. And, but what he has done is continued to steal bases, uh, eight steals in nine tries. And he's hit, I mean, he's hit 271. Uh, he's hit a homer, he's got a couple doubles. The impact still hasn't come as much, but, uh, he, as much as just about anybody, I don't say anybody in baseball, but, you know, he's been playing with, you know, the the rules uh, regarding you know how many times you can throw over and things like that you know for a while he likes to run he's not a burner he's not we're going to talk about you know fastest prospects he's not one of the fastest prospects um but he has shown that even in big league games uh he understands how to steal bases and he's gone eight for nine he's second among all players in big league spring training games with, with his eight stolen bases.
1: I don't think I realized that he stole 55 bases last year. I mean, I, I, you know, if I were to think back on his 2022, uh, I think what, you know, sticks out in my mind most is his 245, 340, 384 slash Mm -hmm. line. And especially his, uh, his struggles when he, Pumped up to Double A, but uh, he did did steal fifty five bases. Uh, although fifty of those came at, at High A, and only five at Double A. I guess kind of hard to steal bases when you're not on base.
3: It, it does make it does make it tough. And, and there are other guys who have really performed well in spring training. But I I kind of wanted to circle the his continued success as a stolen base threat. You know that this is not something that's going to be like oh he just did it in A ball and then he can't do it anymore. I think he's going to figure out the offensive side of things uh, once if he can once he starts refining his approach. and I think more power will come, but uh, but he understands base running, uh, and I think that's going to continue to be a very good skill for him.
1: Yeah, he was really aggressive in uh, the Arizona Fall League with his, his base running as well. All right, Jim, I, w- I wanted to uh, start with Jonathan there because I feel like we haven't talked about Zach Veen much. If at all during spring training on the podcast, and uh, this next guy we almost yeah. never don't talk about.
0: Yeah, I mean it's funny. I don't I don't know how what the proper amount of hype we're supposed to give Jason Dominguez because uh, you, you know it's funny. I always talk about how he's the most hyped international prospect ever, and the expectations are unfair. And you know, ninety percent of the time I write a scouting report on him. I mention that he gets compared to Bo Jackson and Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout when he was an amateur. Like so, that just fuels the hype. Um, anymore. And, you know, so we saw him in the fall league and he didn't really do much in the Arizona fall league, which is a hitter circuit. Um, and I'd kind of wrapped my head around like, okay, you know, he, you know, he's, we call him the Martian cause he's got these otherworldly tools and they're, but they're good tools. They're not unbelievable tools. And that made, he's more of a solid across the board guy Than a star and and again I'm not going to say that just because he you know played great in 25 play appearances in big league camp as a 20 year old means that we need to start comparing him to Mickey Mantle again but man what a great spring for Jason Dominguez you know he hit 455 four home runs um, walked as much as he struck out made a lot of contact um, and really impressed the Yankees I mean Aaron Boone I think the, the quote that that he told reporters when he sent him down was that he didn't expect that he'd be sending Jason Dominguez down too many more times. And, you know, I don't think it's out of the question. We could see him in New York at some point this year, even though he just turned 20. Um, he had a real solid year last year as a teenager, 16 homers, 37 steals, got to got double to A. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know if this guy's going to be the greatest player of all time, that type of hype. But I mean, he could be a guy who hits 270 with, with 25 to 30 homers per season. And, you know, I, I think he really imp- – it felt like, Jonathan, when we saw him in the fall league and you talked to scouts about him, especially scouts who hadn't seen him before, it was kind of like, – you know, like and, and he didn't really do much out there. It was kind of like, okay, you know, he's interesting, but I don't know what all the hype was really about. And
1: right. he's looked great this spring. Are we going to need to adjust uh, his ETA, Jim? We have him listed as – 2024 but what, what's your what's your over under on when we see him your best guess
0: well i'd still go with 2020 i, I still think 2024 makes the most sense because he's barely played double a but i but i, I don't think September. 2023 i don't think 2023 is out of the uh out of the question and sometimes you know the very best prospects wind up rewriting their etas but you know he, he's only gonna be 20 this year and so i'll still stick with 2024 do not adjust his eta leave it alone do not adjust do not adjust i, I mean he's, he, he's his double he, experience I, to this point consists of him going two for 19 so he still has a couple levels to conquer in the minors no i i
3: think that's right i think he's the kind of guy who uh he you know could very easily like things click and he's up second half of this year or september so, so i you know it's not but September call-ups are as much, are nearly the same as, as they used to be. So maybe not, but uh, I could see him starting to knock on the door at the end of this year.
1: Some other top 100 hitters who have impressed this spring. We're not going to get into the details on them, but Tristan Cassis, Mason Wynn, Heston Kerstad have all been very good. Where Where do you guys want to go next? Choose your own adventure. Do we go top 100 pitchers? Do we go non-top 100 hitters? I say top 100 pitchers, Jim. Then that's that fine with you? me. Sure. <laughs> Jonathan, hit us with your top one hundred pitcher who has impressed in big league camp.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh Brandon Fott of of the Diamondbacks. And I you know, I was lucky enough that I saw him pitch in uh I, I think it was his Cactus League debut. Uh and this is a guy who split the year last year between double A AA and triple A and <laughs> threw really well in Reno, which like never happens and he has been uh you know he's been quite good this spring um with a it's a 375 area it's 12 innings so the the earned run average doesn't uh you know doesn't matter that much but he struck out 15 in in 12 innings Uh, he's only given up eight hits and four walks uh his batting average against is 195 he's looked like he belongs so, you know, I think that he is going to impact Arizona's rotation at some point during this 2023 season.
1: Adjust the ETA. We have him, we have him down for uh, 2024 as well. Oh. Oh, no. oh, you know what? No, we don't. It's 2023. 2023. Do not adjust the ETA. Do not, no, do not
3: adjust the ETA. I mean, I think if they needed to break camp with him in the rotation, that would be fine. Um, I think it's going to depend on big league personnel, and you know I think the 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 Dbacks are hoping to make things interesting in the AL West uh, and the AL West and the NL West uh, a little bit. Um, but you know you never make it through a season with the, the five starters you break camp with, so I think he is going to get an opportunity at some point soon. And uh, you know I very well see him being the first guy they call upon if they need a
1: starter. First minor league pitcher to strike out more than 200 batters in a year since. 2011, last year, 218 of them. Mm-hmm. That was that was fun to watch. Uh, Jim, your top 100 pitcher.
0: Yeah, that, that would be Gavin Stone of the Dodgers. Yeah, it's interesting. Like he, he, Juan Trivio had a story on him the other day for us, and he noted that Stone isn't in the mix to earn a spot in the rotation on Opening Day because the Dodgers are planning on going with Ryan Pepio or Michael Grove because Tony Gonsolin's hurt, and I guess that's because those guys have been in the big leagues. And Stone has not, so they'd have to open a spot in the 40-man roster. But if it was if it was based purely on merit, then the guy should be Gavin Stone. Uh, again, I, I don't place a ton of faith in in spring training stats. Yeah, you know, the small sample size, varying levels of competition. But that said, Gavin Stone hasn't given up a run in four outings. He struck out 14 in six and two-thirds innings, which I think is pretty good. Um, yeah, it's not a fluke. I mean, this is a guy who led the minors in the ERA last year and ranked fifth in strikeout rate. And I always, it seems like every other episode I talk about what a great job the Dodgers do developing guys. I mean, this was a former fifth round pick who signed for $97,500 as the second to last pick in the 2020 draft. And he's gone from having a 91-93 mile-hour fastball in college. Now he sits 94-96 and hits 98 with, like, a ton of induced vertical break on the fastball. He got rid of the curveball he had in college. The Dodgers helped him come up with a solid mid-80s slider. And that's, I mean, the most impressive pitch he has, and the one that's come the farthest, is he barely ever used a up in college. And now he's got a plus-plus change up in the mid-80s with devastating tumble, and he throws strikes. So... Um, this guy's got three really good pitches and throw strikes, and he performs. Um, so, again, I, you know teams don't like to use up 40-man roster spots before they have to. I get it, but I don't know what more Gavin Stone really has to show before he gets his shot in Los Angeles. And if it doesn't come on opening day, it seems like it'll come pretty soon.
1: All right, some uh, other top 100 pitchers who have impressed during spring training include D.L. Hall of the Orioles and Bryce Miller of the Mariners. Uh, Let's go where, guys? Top 100 hitters? I mean, non-top 100 hitters? Non-top 100 pitchers? Let's just go back to top 100. (laughs) Um, It feels like Jeopardy. Um, But, uh, yeah, let's go non-top 100 prospects for $100, Alex. Uh, Jonathan, I think uh, I want to say we talked about this guy last week when you were away but that was a full week ago, so. A whole week ago. Yeah, so I, I'm not, not entirely sure, but I think Jim can maybe back me up on this or or uh, tell me that my memory is as bad as I think it is. Um, well, so is
3: Christian and Strand, uh, was was he discussed last week?
1: Um, Jim, you don't remember either? It, it's been a long time.
0: I don't think he was. I didn't talk about him. I don't think <laughs> okay all right and then so we talked
1: I, we talked about talking about him
3: there you go i i you know it, it, he's interesting he's already been sent down but uh talk about a guy making a an impression in his first spring training with a new organization uh you know he came over from the from the twins and the tyler molly deal um last year uh hit really well after the trail. A lot of times the guy gets traded and he comes over and, and he struggles just because, you know, new surroundings and, and, uh, you know, he continued to, to hit well last year. He had a huge year, 32 homers, 114 runs batted in. And the Reds have been really impressed with a, a, a better feel to hit than they thought the power, the raw power has always been there. <laughs> he, he went 15 for 26 in, in big league camp with the Reds. It's a five seventy seven on uh batting average, He had an OPS over 1,700. He hit four homers and drove in 13 runs uh, in over 12 games. And the reason why I think it was worth bringing him up, even though he's been sent down, you know, because the Reds, you know, right now, Spencer Steer is going to be their third baseman in all likelihood, unless they go with one one of these uh, minor league invitees uh, who are really more of a utility type. Steer struggled... Uh, defensively. Now, the thing with and strand is I don't know that he, you know, he could play third long term, and one of the reasons they sent him down was for him to get more reps at first uh, where he's not going to play in Cincinnati while Joey Votto is still active. Um, but I think he is going to hit his way up at some point and whether it's you know a start at first to give Votto a day off or let Votto DH, a couple starts at DH and a start or two at third um, I think he's going to show that the, what he's doing is is for real. There's some swing and miss still, but uh, he's, you know, barreling up baseballs on a, a regular enough basis to feel confidence that he's tapping into that uh, easily plus raw power.
1: Yeah, among all qualified players, well, I guess um, among all players in baseball and spring training, uh, he was sixth in total bases. A couple other prospects among the leaders Heston kerstad they're uh, tied for second with 34 and Jordan Walker at fifth with 32 so uh three out of the six leaders in total bases in spring training among- come from the prospect ranks
3: is this like the 12th <laughs> straight podcast you've snuck in a mention of Jordan Walker?
1: <laughs> I I mean it's hard not to Jim make me make me not talk about Jordan Walker who, who do you have non- top 100. Uh, hitter who is impressed
0: yeah and he's impressed is not just a hitter but as a defender and that would be casey schmidt of the giants he's been the all defense third baseman on our uh our all defense team the last couple of years and what's interesting about him defensively is last year when marco luciano was hurt they needed him to play shortstop and he looked really good at shortstop as well um and the reason i bring that up is that brandon crawford is having knee problems again and the Giants are looking at guys like Thyro Estrada, who can play short. Brett Wisley and Isan Diaz, who are probably stretched at short. And they've been working Casey Schmidt out at shortstop at well in big league camp. And he's looked good there. Uh, he, I think he's a potential goal glover at third. Um, he was also a pretty good relief pitcher in college at San Diego State, too. Just a very, very versatile athlete. And he's had a great spring at the plate as well. He's hitting 441 he's got six extra base hits i think he's fifth among all prospects in terms of total bases in spring training and i don't necessarily think he's going to make the opening day roster but like if crawford's out for a while casey schmidt even though he's their third baseman in the future might be their best shortstop of the present that's not out of the question and he really made some strides offensively last year too he had a and his pro debut in 21, he had a broken nose, he had a an injury, wrist injury, and that kept his numbers down. But last year he hit 293 with 21 homers and got to AAA. Uh Kind of a sneaky guy who I don't think we've ever well, – I know we've never had him on the top 100. I don't know if he's ever been kind of in that next group of guys who are going to make it. But he's, he's, if he keeps hitting him, you know, we know he can field. I don't think he's too far away from being a, a top 100 prospect
1: consideration couple other non top 100 prospects who have impressed in spring training Lawrence Butler of the As Parker Meadows and another member of the Giants organization who Jonathan I might I, I bet you might take the opportunity to uh, talk about here the player who has led all qual- qualified players in spring training in both on base percentage and OPS you know who that is Blake Sable that is who that is
3: yeah
0: Troy Palmolo's cousin.
3: That's right. Rule five guy. I always like to give the rule five guys a shout out, you know, getting an opportunity and we'll see what what happens, but he's certainly making a case.
1: All right. Let's move on to non-top 100 pitchers who have impressed and uh, got a very big name and very big arm. And then uh, another name that is uh, to kind of come out of nowhere here in spring training. Let's go with the big name and big arm, Jonathan.
3: We got to give Ben Joyce a little love, right? Um, you, know, he's he's been such an interesting player slash prospect since last year in the draft as a guy at uh, Tennessee who could throw 105 miles an hour, but got hit more than he should. Didn't pitch a lot, uh, you know, long injury history, so he didn't pitch on back to back days and or in many if at all high leverage situations. I mean, we talked about him a lot. Uh, you know, he's in big league camp, and he's been impressive from the get-go. He finally gave up some runs in in, uh, in his outing today, as we record, actually. Um, he, he gave up uh, a couple of runs, um, but only gave up one hit. Um, so he's now appeared in six games, and he's, uh, you know, he's given up, uh, let me see, it's five and two hits over – six innings i think one two three four i can't do math so five and two thirds innings total but he's missing bats yeah he's walking some guys uh the outing before last he had 104 um i think the most encouraging thing for those who are wondering well how's it going to work and we've talked about him a lot where you know just throwing hard alone isn't gonna be enough and and he could get hit is that he's added in uh, a harder cutter uh that he's still learning how to throw but he's had some success in big league camp. So, you know, this is a guy who's going to get put at a, at a higher level. Um, I probably would start him in
0: double-A. Well, hey, Johnson, how, he actually pitched in double-A last year and pitched right, well. Right, right. He probably yeah, goes he pitched, in
3: triple-A. Yeah, no, he, right, right. But if, if you, listen, maybe if you wanted to start him in double-A just to get his funeral, but if they're, it's already accelerated how quickly, you know, they think that he can help them. And obviously anytime a, a, a big league, Staff sees a guy, you know, averaging well over 100 miles an hour with a fastball and has other swing and miss stuff. Uh, as long as he's somewhere around the zone, they're going to want to get him to the to the big league. So, whether he starts in double A and moves quickly from there or goes right to triple A, which you could make a case for, especially because you know, the Angels, uh, with that all pitching draft they had in 2021, even in the bullpen, there aren't that many spots. So, it, it might make sense for him to move up to triple A just because. They have other guys that make more sense to be in double A. So many of those guys were in double A last year. Um, so you could have a, a slew of, of relievers who are are knocking on the door. I think they're going to tr- want to try to get him to the big leagues sooner rather than later and, and sort of see how it plays. Uh, you, you know, he's still he's pitching in games and it's spring training. So it makes sense. But, th- you know, three, four or five days apart. Um, So, you know, the workload will be monitored. I'm sure it's still his first full year of pro ball, uh, and he's not had any kind of regular workload, but he has opened uh, a lot of eyes, I I think, uh, among the Angels big league staff this spring.
1: All right. And Jim, opposite end of the spectrum in a lot of ways. We'll go go for the the big name with the big arm, the 80 fastball, uh, big right-hander to a lefty with a 50 fastball and a name I would venture to say that uh, not many outside of Braves fans were familiar with going into spring training.
0: Well, he was on our, our, our 2021 uh, draft top 250, Dylan Dodd, uh, left-hander uh, in the Braves system, wound up being the third-round pick that year, a uh, former two-way player in junior college, uh, was Ohio Valley Conference Pitcher of the Year at, at Southeast Missouri State, you know, last year, his first full season pro ball, he struck out 153 guys, 142 innings. He got to triple A. And the report on him is kind of similar to what it was in college. And he was one of those guys who was kind of an area scout favorite, but he can just really, really pitch. He's got a low 90s fastball that the probably the best attribute about it is his ability to command it. He has a slider and a changeup that are probably more average than solid, but he has really good feel for mixing offerings and locations and keeps hitters off balance. He's, you know, like a lot of guys, he's, I mean, everybody seems like they're throwing harder in spring training because their arms are fresh, but you know, he's added a couple ticks of velocity and he's been lights out in spring training. He's pitched four times. He's given up one run in 13 innings. He's got a 15 to two strikeout to walk ratio. Um, And it looks like either he or Jared Schuster is going to open the season as Atlanta's fifth star. Jared Schuster you know their first-round pick from a couple of years ago has been exceptional as well. Um, but one of those two guys looks like they're going to open the season in Atlanta's rotation, um, and whichever one does not I think we'll see pretty pretty quickly.
3: Not bad for a senior sign money saver. Yeah, but he was he was, he was better than that. I know, but they did save a lot of money, <laughs> you know, by taking him in the third round in twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he was one. Like, I think he would have been a legitimate top five round pick because of the pitchability. Maybe he went around sure. earlier, but yeah, he's I mean, that's been a great, a great find. But see, Jason, now you ask the, the ETA.
1: Adjust uh, yeah. the ETA. Come on, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm down for that. Send it in. It's a, it's a new segment. What about, what about Ben Joyce?
0: We're just going to do an entire
1: adjust the ETA. Where we just
0: run through all 900 players on our top 30 is, list? Did I have and 2024 for go Ben Joyce? Adjusted. Also?
1: Yeah, he's down. Yeah, he's down for a 2024 ETA. Adjust the ETA. And Jason,
0: we you wouldn't even have to be part of the podcast. You could, we could just record you saying "adjust the ETA, adjust the ETA" each time, and then we could just go through them. I so think
3: that's going to be the title of this uh, this episode, though.
0: The next time Jason's on vacation, that'll be our podcast.
1: That will unseat. Uh, what was it? Two weeks ago, we had the wor- worst podcast of all time. Right.
0: Yeah, we would. That that'll be our next one for each team. Whose ETA needs to be adjusted the most?
1: There we go. A few other names, quickly, non-top 100 pitchers who have impressed in spring training. uh, Jim mentioned Schuster uh, when he was talking about Dodd. Also, Matt Crook, Jay Groom, Gabe Hughes. Rule five. Rule five. Uh, All right, let's take a break and come back. And Jim had a chance to sit down with Cubs pitching prospect Cade Horton. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast.
0: Jim Callis here, MLB Pipeline with Kate Horton, the Chicago Cubs. Kate, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this interview with Thank you us. for having me. So I, I want to get back to to high school, because you know, or start there at least. Like you, you were a high, pretty highly touted draft prospect out of high school, two way guy, two sport guy. Did you entertain going pro at that point, or is it just tough? I mean, you're from Norman, right? And if University of Oklahoma recruits you to play two yeah. sports. Was that pretty much an easy decision to make?
2: So I, I did consider it. I just, you know, I felt like I was in a position where, you know, um, I had a lot of options and um, a lot of good options. You know, I could, you know, go to college, play play two sports, uh, be a two-way, or, you know, I could turn into professional baseball. Um, and I just felt, you know, COVID all kind of happened, and so I felt like it limited um, my opportunity to get seen um, my senior year. And so at that point, you know, it, it kind of felt best if, you know, I would just go ahead and go to college and, and do those opportunities.
0: Did you see yourself when you went to college? Did you see yourself as more of a hitter than a pitcher, or did you see yourself as pretty equal in both? I, um, I've never I, seen you at a PDP league. I felt,
2: and... I felt like, as a pitcher, I felt like um, I saw myself as both, really. I feel like at a, at a certain point, the game would have, you know, chose for me, and it ultimately did. Um, but, yeah, I would say college, I definitely felt I was, I was a hitter just as much as I was a pitcher.
0: Now, how hectic was it when you first got to college between not just playing, trying to be a two-way guy, but also playing football?
2: Yeah, I feel like, you know, that, that coaching staff um, at OU, they did a great job of, you know, handling my load. You know, when I, when I needed a day off, you know, I could take a day off. And so I felt, you know, they, they did a really good job of having a plan in place for, you know, me to stay healthy and all that.
0: So did you redshirt your freshman year in football or? So
2: what ended up happening is, um, I, I played football for until September. And then I kind of, you know, looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, you know, I could go to base. I, it, it, what really happened is the draft got pushed up um, to my sophomore year. So I became a sophomore, sophomore eligible um, in baseball, and so I was like, you know, I could, I could quit right now and go get a whole fall in with Skip, or I could, you know, wait it out and, you know, be be behind the ball, um, going into my freshman uh, year as in, in baseball. And so I ultimately made the decision to just go ahead and quit and, you know, get get the ball rolling with with baseball and and Skip. And so yeah.
0: So did you did watching Kyler Murray play into that at all? Because that kind of is what happened to him after he transferred. Um, I mean, he ultimately got drafted pretty yeah. high, but I would no,
2: I wouldn't say he had really any anything to do with it. I felt like it was more of a personal decision. Um, so yeah. And then did you get hurt? Was it
0: January right before, yeah, before the season? Yeah, I got
2: hurt um, in the the end of January, and yeah, and then past surgery February third. Um, yeah,
1: so.
0: I mean, what's that like? Because I remember talking to scouts. Like, you know, so I do a lot of draft stuff in Oklahoma, one of my states, and you weren't eligible, so I don't usually talk about right. fresh, but scouts are like, man, pay Horton looks really good in fall practice, like, he's gonna be a guy. And then you get hurt like literally two weeks yeah. before the season starts. How tough was that?
2: Yeah, it was really tough, you know? I I felt like it, it happened for a reason, though. I felt like I learned um, a lot about myself and you know, about the game. Um, I felt like I really fell in love with the game. Um, and, and, you know, being somebody that has always played, you know, getting to see it from a new perspective and, and it taught me how to be a better teammate. Um, and, and I think it it all worked out in the end, but it, it was really tough. Um, but I think, you know, where when you experience, you know, stuff like that, it, you, you come out stronger from it
0: is the rehab any different for a two-way guy i mean obviously i mean you use your arm um it it was it was the same
2: um i i i I think it was pretty much all the same except you know i started hitting um a little shortly after i threw but it it ultimately was a you know same recovery
0: so going into last year i know you started the year playing third base for sooners and i don't think you started pitching until kind of the end of march Was that the plan or like? What yeah, was-
2: yeah, I think, you know, going in, um, they wanted me to start off as a position player and let me, you know, continue to throw bullpens and stuff. And then Skip wanted to um, kind of continue that role and then start adding in some pitching. And then once that, you know, happened, and we kind of, you know, started progressing to just a pitcher.
0: So, I know the regular season, I mean, I feel like I've written this a million times when I've written about your rise yeah. to first-round pick. I think your ERA was like 7.94 or something yeah. during the regular season. And from talking to scouts, it sounded like they felt your velocity was back, but the fastball command wasn't necessarily back, yeah. and that you were struggling with your secondary pitches. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the regular season, were you even thinking much about the draft at that point? Or were you thinking, hey, I you know I guess you were technically a redshirt freshman. Yeah. I can come yeah. back. I'll still have leverage next year i mean were you even thinking that the draft was gonna
2: happen for you at that point i i really wasn't i wasn't really concerned about the drafts uh at all really um i would say you know i was more thinking of how do i make myself better you know what why why is why am i experiencing this failure and, and ultimately like you said it was you know fastball command um you know i was i was not i didn't have a really good routine as far as you know my starting day goes. And I think, you know, just learning and being out there and just having that experience um, was something that I lacked. And so I think, you know, as as you saw, time as time went on, you know, stuff only got better. And so I think, you know, being in control of myself was was the biggest thing.
0: And then, I mean, I don't know if it's been oversimplified, but like the, the, the legend has it, you're going to Big 12 tournament and you're working on a cutter. And the cutter didn't take, yeah. but all of a sudden you discovered this slider grip, and then the slider was like a beast in the whole postseason. Yeah. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, is it that so simple? We
2: went, yeah, we went down to Arlington. Uh, I was throwing a bullpen after Texas, the Texas Tech weekend, and I was talking to Skip about you know learning a slider or learning a cutter to get guys off the you know the fastball and curveball. And so I started throwing. Um, it, it was backing up on me and stuff. And so Ben Abrams saw me. Um, he was like, you know, play catch with me uh, when we get down to Arlington. So a couple of days goes by. I start, I play catch with him and he, you know, he gave me a couple of pointers. And, and
0: ultimately from there, you know, it kind of just took off. Did, I mean, did it come pretty quick? I mean, yeah, quick, yeah, I, I know, I know you did it. pitch well in the Big 12 tournament, but I mean, then all of a sudden you have this. Above. Yeah,
2: I threw it. So I threw it um, in a pen um, right before that start against Texas, and, and I was like, you know what, we're going to go out there and see what it does, and, and it ended up being, you know, a pretty good pitch.
0: And then, I mean, obviously, I mean, you guys went on a great run and you got to the College World Series Finals. So, I mean, obviously, your draft stock rose considerably. Like, you knew the draft was going to happen at that point. Did you have much inkling that you were going to possibly go as high as you did to the Cubs or um, the Rockies? You
2: know, <laughs> The the draft is really weird because you you really don't know until you know, and so you know it wasn't I I felt like I was in a position to you know I could I could I could take the money or you know I could go back to college so again I was in a really good situation and I felt you know if it happens it happens and if not you know I'll go back
0: and and do my thing. When did you find out it was going to be the Cubs? Did you know before the pick or did you find out?
2: Oh um, yeah, what? I found out right before the pick. Yeah.
0: So. Were you uh, who would you root for growing up?
2: Um, I honestly really didn't root. I didn't have a team. You know, being from Oklahoma, we don't have a team. But uh, I, I i just
0: admired players. Yeah. So any Cubs that you admired or?
2: Um, yeah, there's there's quite you know that 2016 team. You know, with Chris Bryant, all those guys. Um, I really admired them.
0: So. How tough is it? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure it was a to of plan, but like. You know, you get drafted in the first round, you sign. I'm sure part of you was like, "I want to go play," and yeah. like you have to wait for your pro debut for this year. I mean, it makes sense from one standpoint, but how much as a competitor are you itching to actually go out and pitch in yeah, games? Yeah,
2: I'm ready to get back after <laughs> it. You know, I felt like uh, not not going out and pitching last year was probably a smart move, just coming off of Tommy John, and so you know, but but now it's it's been a quite a while since the, since the draft, and I'm itching to get back out there.
0: What have you done? I mean, what has your development consisted of to this point since you signed? Um,
2: just you know, focusing on my pitch ref tour. Um, just you know, walking in those pitches. You know, commanding the zone, and just really um, staying in control when I'm out there. You know, making sure I'm taking good breaths and working on my routine. What? Uh,
0: how would you stack up your pitches if you were ranking them in order from best to worst right now?
2: Um, I would say probably my slider would be uh, my best pitch, then my fastball
0: change up and curveball. How much are you using your change up and curveball? Did you throw much of a change up last year or did you not? Because
2: um, I, I didn't really. Um, I, I I would show it at times, but I feel like, you know, now now that I've, you know, worked on it quite a few and played catch with it, you know, I feel pretty good about it.
0: Did you throw much? Did you throw more curveball than slider as an amateur, as in high school? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I didn't even. I didn't even
0: have a slider in, in high school. When did you start throwing the slider? Was it when you tried to pick up the cutter, or did you fool yeah, around was, with it? Yeah,
2: it was that big week or that Big Twelve weekend. So.
0: And so in terms of like, uh, I mean, did you pitch an instructional league and maybe done some inter-squad stuff?
2: Um, No, I've just, you know, been around here throwing bullpens and um, throwing live. And so that's really what I've been mainly doing, just, you know, working on on attacking hitters and, and throwing in the zone.
0: How much different is it doing it in those kind of settings and doing it in a game where you're, you know, the result? I mean, even development, the results don't matter per se. I mean, it's about developing your stuff. But like when you're in a game, you get the feedback like, oh, like I struck that guy out or this guy hit a sink. Like you get more feedback. I, I feel like
2: for me, I take it, you know, and like Skip talks about it all the time. You know, once you let go of that ball you know, you're not in control anymore. And so that's really what I focus on is as a pitcher, so, you know, just throwing it to a target because that's the only thing you can control. And, and you know, you, you want to take your bullpen like, like it's a game. And so that's what I always try to do and it, it makes the two similar and, and so, yeah.
0: What's it like, I mean, you're part of a pretty intriguing pitching class with the Cubs. I mean, you're in the first round, Jackson Ferris is in the second round. Did you pitch against Brandon Burtzell in college? Did you ever go head to head?
2: No, we didn't go head to head, but I I've watched him pitch.
0: And then Nasir Malay has a great arm. Yeah. I'm probably forgetting a couple maybe some later guys. But like, I mean, you guys. I mean, did you interact with those guys much since you all kind of came in together? Oh, yeah,
2: we talk, you know, every day. Um, our lockers are right next to each other. And, you know, we're we're on the same page. You know, we're we're all about winning and getting better and, you know, just attacking um, whatever is in front of us. And so, you know, it's been nice having those guys around here and just And learning from from their experiences as
0: well and I mean I I mean you they probably haven't told you where I mean you don't know where you're going yet to start the season but I mean it it, theoretically you guys could all wind up together yeah it would be um it would be
2: awesome playing with
0: them so I mean how what's your take I mean the Cubs have one of the better deeper farm systems around I mean you which I guess you've been around these guys for a while now I mean both pitching and hitting I mean there's a lot of talent on on both sides of the ball.
2: yeah there's there's a ton of talent in this organization. Um, I'm just thankful to be in a, a great organization like this one uh, with so many guys and just, you know, ready to, to get the Cubs back what they were.
0: I know know, the Cubs have put a lot of effort, I mean a lot of teams have, but the Cubs, you know, have put a lot of effort in recent years into like building up their pitching infrastructure and the technology. How much have you learned? I mean, I know colleges have some of that stuff too, but how much have you learned or have your eyes been opened up by some of the resources they have? Yeah, there's,
2: you know, there's a ton of resources in this organization um, and there's, you know, there's tons of people, you know, just waiting around to help you. But, you know, the pitching lab has been great. There's, there's valuable information in that. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been awesome working with the guys around here and the coaches around here.
0: Hey, man, how much does that help, like the pitching lab, when you're like trying to refine your curveball or develop your changeup to be able to, you know, look at the way, like, I I yeah. know I'm probably but like the way the ball comes off your fingers, or no, hey, yeah, the, the ball really moved well here. What did I do that time? And you can yeah, it's that. very
2: valuable. I mean, you know, there's there's very fast feedback, and it's it's good to get in there and and uh, get to work.
0: Anything else you're looking at, you know, besides pitch development that you're looking to work on this year? Or?
2: Um, no, I think just refining my pitches and, you know, just just getting them to where, you know, everything's – I can throw everything in any count and and just,
0: you know, just really attacking hitters is all
2: I'm really focused on.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I guess with the way the fastball and the slider were working down the stretch, especially when you're in the tournament and you're trying to get the college – you're in Omaha. Right. And you know you can get guys out with two pitches. You're going to throw two pitches. Right. You're yeah. not going to be like – Hey, let's see how the changeups working today. Like,
2: right? I mean, yeah. I, like you said, no situation you just got to go with what you have, and um, you know, I feel like this offseason's been really good for my development, and I'm continuing and just continuing to you know um, go off of that, and so I'm I'm ready for the season. I'm ready to do out
0: Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Cade. Appreciate yeah, thank it. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks very much to Cade Horton for joining us here on the MLB Pipeline Podcast, Jim sitting down to talk with him and Jim maybe posting the first ever video of Kate Horton, uh, with the Cubs and, uh,
3: Seen in the wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, footage of the Loch Ness monster.
0: (laughs) Were were you guys shocked that I interviewed Kate Horton and Cubs camp?
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Maybe the least surprising thing
3: that's ever happened in all of our
0: years together.
1: But uh you say Cubs fans uh were worked into a frenzy by your, your video, huh?
0: Yeah, they it's like I don't know the last time I tweeted something out and got that much uh, that that much reaction. I, you know, I guess it makes sense because after the College World Series and he was coming off Tommy John the year before they shut him down, and I, I don't know if it was the first video ever tweeted of Kate Horton, but I even got a couple of reactions from people saying, "Oh, he does exist." And people were. And he, I think the first pitch in the video, he threw like a really nasty curveball,
1: and people got very excited. All right. So thanks for Kate. For uh, thanks to Cade for joining us. When we return after this break, we are going to talk about some of the fastest prospects in the minor leagues, and we're going to answer a question from the mailbag. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are going to finish this final segment talking very fast, or you can, you can turn up, you can turn your speed two times or three times. We're going to be talking about some of the fastest prospects in each organization. So we figured we should probably talk fast when we do this. Was it Jim or Jonathan? Which one of you guys was really good at recording the, uh, that was me. That was you. Yeah. 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 we had to record that. What, what, what was that, uh, the disclaimer uh, language at the end of uh, some promo spot. Yeah. yeah,
3: so, uh, yeah That was uh, impressive. Uh, thank you.
1: 80-grade I, I uh, speed. I
3: save people some time so they didn't have to speed up the recording at all so they could just run at regular speed because I can talk really fast.
1: Uh, so we have a story coming up on the fastest prospect in each organization. This is one where we do a lot of these stories where we're kind of doing a series now where we identify the uh, best power hitter in each power hitting prospect in each organization, best hitting prospect. Prospect best fastball, best off-speed pitch. Would you say that the that this one, where we identify the fastest prospect in each organization, has the sort of least correlation between the player's overall grade and the grade that we're focusing on?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it, that's fair. I think it's probably one of the more difficult lists we put together because a lot of the categories, whether it's hitting or power. Or fastball, or you know what have you? If you're really good in those areas, you're automatically going to be on the top thirty list. And I know Jonathan, this is one, where of my t- the ten teams I do when we do these stories, there was one I knew the answer, and there were the other nine teams. I was like, I got to check with the club to make sure I'm not missing a guy. Um, it it it's it, it's it takes more work to put together, and like you said, Jason, it doesn't always correlate. Just because you can run really fast doesn't necessarily mean that the speed alone is going to make you a top prospect.
1: Agree with Jim. And I I guess we don't know yet because we don't have Sam's picks about the total number of top 100 prospects that would...
0: We do have Sam's picks. They came
1: in while we were podcasting. Oh, wow. Uh, That was fast. See what I did there? uh Oh, wow. What's our total number of top 100 prospects?
0: Sam has two. Two of his guys are top 100 prospects.
1: Okay, and then you guys, you guys have one each. Is that? Uh, do I have one?
0: Yeah, I don't think Jim
3: has any. I have one.
1: Yeah, I have zero. Oh, I see. Okay, but you're gonna, you're gonna, okay. But well, we want to talk about three top
3: 100 guys total.
1: We want to talk about a couple of them. Yes, we got Corbin Carroll. Right. Correct. We got Ellie Ellie De La Cruz. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. And Elijah
1: Green. And Elijah Green. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Corbin Carroll. We've we've seen his speed in the big leagues already uh, at the end of last year. We've seen it in spring training this year. um, You know, he, he, he had a triple in spring training uh, where he went first to third in like a very, very fast time, but he, you know, kind of pulled up before he got to third base, didn't need to uh, really gun it all the way through, but his time to second base uh, would have put him among the fastest first uh, home to second times, um, in the big leagues in all of last year. And then I went and checked and he'd actually recorded the three fastest home to second times last year in the big leagues, having played only whatever it was like 32 games in the big leagues. So we've, we've, we've seen that on display already and that's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And he, I mean, also Jason, he had the highest average sprint speed at 30.7 feet per second of any big leaguer last year. He was number one. He also had the second best home to first time. He got from the left side in 4.05 seconds. And I I think what excites me the most about him as a prospect, you know, he's number two on the top 100 prospects list behind Gunnar Henderson, is that when he came out of high school, we knew he could hit, we knew he could run, we knew the speed was going to translate into, you know, quality center field defense. But he's, you know... I don't know if transformed is the right word, but he's he's gotten stronger. He's matured physically. And before, I think, coming out of high school, you looked at him, okay, this guy's going to hit. I'm not sure how much power there's really going to be. Well, now he looks like a 20 to 25 home run guy because he, he's gotten a lot stronger. So, you know, yes, he can run, and it helps him in, all as- in, in many aspects of the game. But he's also enhanced the other areas of his game as well, which is why he's one of the best prospects in baseball.
1: Yeah, I mean, looking through the the list of players uh, who are ranked on a team top 30 prospect list who have a, a run grade of 70 or higher, Carroll is is one of only a handful that have a power grade of 55 or higher and uh, also has the, the hit tool of, of 65. And Jonathan, your guy that you want to talk about uh, is another one of those players who has the power to go with the speed has the 60 power grade with a 70 run. And that, that can only be said of uh, him, Jackson Churio and the aforementioned Elijah green and drew Jones. Did I miss drew Jones?
3: Yeah, but he hasn't played a game of baseball yet. So it's understandable. Still counts. He's got the grades. Yeah, he does have the grades. Um, Yeah. I mean, any chance I have to talk about Ellie de la Cruz, uh, I'm going to, going to take, and it was sort of interesting. Obviously, you know, he can, he can run. Uh, you know, last year he stole forty-seven bases and fifty-three tries. And even once he got up to Double A, where it supposedly it'd be harder, he went nineteen for twenty-one. um The power is legit. You know, he had twenty-eight homers. uh Just needs to you know work on the approach a little tiny bit, and I think he's going to be ready. What was kind of interesting on this one is, while I knew that he was the fastest guy among the Reds' top prospects, I wanted to check in with the Reds because last year when we did this uh it, they were one of the teams where i had a, an unranked player uh listed as their fastest player and i'm like i just want to make sure you know because i have ellie Dela cruz as a 70 runner and so i checked in with a couple of people and it was instantaneous they were like no ellie de La cruz is the fastest guy so maybe i'm a little light with the 70 um but uh clearly uh, not only is he the fastest guy in the organization, but it's usable. And I think that's the other you know, thing, you know, with with Corbin Carroll and the ability to impact the baseball is then doubles become triples um, as these guys get stronger. Sometimes they get faster. Uh, you know, I think that's what's uh, what's happening with some of these guys.
1: So, of all the ranked prospects on a top thirty prospects list, uh, there are seven of them who have an eighty run grade. The others, uh, in addition to Corbin Carroll, and we mentioned, uh, no, we haven't mentioned any of the other ones. We have Jordan Adams, uh, Angels number 30 prospect, Garrett Mitchell, Brewers number four prospect, Estuary Ruiz, uh, A's number six prospect, Victor Scott II, Cardinals number 28 prospect, Chandler Simpson, Rays number 18 prospect, and DeSan Brown, uh, Blue Jays number 15 prospect. Prospect. So these are the guys that can really, really fly. Um, Who do you guys want to focus on here?
0: Well, to me, the most fascinating guy out of all those is is Chandler Simpson, who's an infielder that the Rays took in the second round of last year's draft. And throughout the spring, when he was at Georgia Tech, I had (laughs) numerous scouts. I, I don't know if they were all sharing the same joke or they all came up with it on their own, but everybody made the the same comment that he kind of breaks the scale because he's got 90 speed and 10 power. Like, he's a very extreme pro. You know, he's 6'2", 170. He's not, you know, a very physical guy. But, I mean, he can – I've seen him, like, just on synergy get from home plate. He's a left-handed hitter, first base, in less than 3.8 seconds on a full swing, which is unheard of. Um, He beats out routine ground balls for singles. He can really steal. And what's kind of an interesting about too, he's a great contact hitter. He only struck out 16 times in 47 games last year. He hit 434, um, or 433 at Georgia Tech to lead NCAA Division I in hitting. He uh, With wood bats the previous summer, he hit 378 in the Northwoods League, stole 55 bases, and only struck out 10 times in 51 games. And only played briefly in pro ball, but it was kind of more the same. He played eight games. In in the Florida Complex League, and obviously he's advanced for that. But he hit 370 with eight steals in eight games, only struck out four times. So it's an extreme offensive profile. It's all batting average. It's no power, but he makes a ton of contact. He gets on base, and I mean, he's I mean, the 90 runner part, the 90 run, 10 power is legit. I mean, he has hit one home run in three years of college and college summer leagues. Um, So I, I think we need to adjust his grades. We can just overrule Sam He's not in the podcast. And I think we should just break the scale and give him 90 speed and 10 power.
1: Adjust the grades. <laughs> adjust the ETA. That,
0: that'll be a, a whole series. Like we'll you know, we'll we'll adjust the ETA. Find
1: something to adjust.
0: And then the next, issue, next episode of the podcast will be adjust the hit tools. Then adjust the power tools. So that, that, that takes care of like if we adjust overall grades and do hitters and pitchers separately, that's like 13 podcasts we have taken care of right there thrilling scintillating content right
1: there <laughs> 60 hit tool though with uh with the 80 with the 80 speed i, I bet we have not seen that often
0: no I, i'm throwing the 20 i mean but i mean in, again it's not just based on stats but in college in three years of college he transferred from uab he hit 355 and he struck out 37 times in 115 games um he had 394 and would bat summer leagues and struck out 19 times in 85 games i mean he, his contact hitting ability is tremendous. Um, yeah, the, the question always is with guys like that, although his speed is so great that if you put him on first, he's going to steal second. But you, you know when he gets to upper level uh, the upper levels of the minors, are guys gonna figuratively knock the bat out of his hands and if they fall behind the count, are they, are they really gonna fear challenging him because he doesn't drive the ball very much? I mean he, he only he hit his one home run of his college career at Georgia Tech last year, but with his speed, he still only had 12 extra base hits in 47 games, and he he hit 433, and he slugged 517. Um, That's not a lot of isolated power there. But, like, he just fascinates me because I don't think you're going to see his speed's unique, his contact hitting ability is is really, really good, and he's got almost no power. I mean, it's it's three extreme grades right there.
1: All right, Jonathan, uh, give us give us some more eighty grade flyers.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think the guy that is the most interesting to me of the, of the remaining is Estery Ruiz. Now with the A's, he got traded twice in twenty twenty two. I think he ran from one organization to the next, so that saved some time. But uh, you know he he started uh, with the Padres. Then I'm sorry. He, he's moved around a lot. I'm sorry. I've, I've lost track of where he's gone. He but, went to uh, Milwaukee. He went to Milwaukee in the Josh Hader trade at the deadline. Um, and then in the three-team deal that sent Sean Murphy to the Braves, I was looking at the, at the transaction. I, that's what threw me off because I'm like, wait, the Braves? And I forgot. It was a three-team trade. He ended up with the A's. Now, this is a guy who led the minor leagues in, with 85 stolen bases last year. Um, and the, the, the thing that makes him a little more interesting is that, uh, he started to figure some things out offensively last year. Now we'll have to wait and see how legitimate that is, but his chase rate went way down. He was making better decisions. His approach improved. Wasn't striking out as much. He was drawing more walks. He tapped into, uh, a lot more power, you know, we'll have to see you know el paso is a good place to hit um but he wasn't there for that long he hit in in nashville um which is not necessarily a a power paradise and he and he hit for power in in san antonio um so i I think that you know if those adjustments offensively are for real he has a chance to be a much more interesting player than strictly a speed guy. I mean, he hit he had a 973 ops in the minors last year. Now he didn't do anything in some brief cups of coffee in the in the big leagues last year. Uh but I he's going to get an opportunity to show what he can do in the big leagues with Oakland um and see what kind of return on that trade uh that they they got there and I have a little bit more confidence in him and his ability to be some kind of big league player than some of the other other sort of lower-ranked 80-speed guys.
1: All right, keep your eyes out for our story on the fastest prospect in each organization. That'll be up at the end of this week. We're recording this on Tuesday. That'll be up in a few days. Uh, let's wrap up with a question from the mailbag. This comes from Brother Louie at Say Hey Willie on Twitter. Brother Louie asks, who has the biggest impact this year? Tovar, Casas, Young, or Beatty? So I've
0: got to ask you guys a question. What are the odds that this is not fantasy baseball related? (laughs) Well, considering I got, you know, I put out the call for questions
3: for this and for, you know, for uh, our inbox and got several fantasy baseball and then, Di- you know, and then some dynasty questions, which are you know, a little deeper dive. It is uh, it is that time of year, so I would say the odds are very low that this is not fantasy related.
1: Have you Have you guys discussed this uh, prior to answering this question? I'm curious if no. you agree on on the player. Uh, I, we don't I, know I yet. will
0: be formulating my answer. I will go first when I answer the question. I have not.
3: Yeah. So I think the first thing, and and Jim, you asking that question, kind of does change a little bit I, I, it depends on how you define impact right if we're talking about fantasy baseball that's different as opposed to impact on the field for a team and helping to win games and I'm gonna answer it that way not the fantasy baseball way hopefully it doesn't disappoint uh say hey Willie too much uh but I'm gonna uh, for that reason I pick Ezekiel tovar because of his uh, of his defensive ability he's He's going to be playing shortstop every day. the The other guys they list are, all have a chance to play regularly, obviously. But I think because of the premium position, uh, add in the fact that you know Brendan Rogers was hurt, and so they really need something to stabilize things up the middle or in the infield in general. And things are a bit of a of a mess there for uh, for the Rockies. He's going to play all the time, and he's going to play above average plus defense. The offense, I don't want to say it's gravy because, you know, you, you have to hit these days. You can't have a guy who doesn't hit at all at shortstop. But I think the bat is going to come, even though he doesn't hit a ton this spring, as long as they keep telling the Rockies, keep telling him, don't worry about the offense. Just let that be what it's going to be. Do what you do defensively, be a leader on the field. I think he is going to have the biggest
0: impact as a result of that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I agree with like, you know, he's got a big opportunity there. I guess I look at this if I'm trying to line these guys up, I would look at it as a combination of opportunity because I think three of these guys are going to play every day. Right. And and Brett Beatty's not necessarily. He's got the he's got more people in front of him. And then how ready the guys are, or how advanced they are as hitters. And while I like Tovar, I'm more confident that Casas and Young will hit and hold on to their jobs while I think there's a greater chance. I'm not saying he he won't hit, but there's a greater chance that Tovar, as young as he is, he's a little more aggressive than those guys, that he would be perhaps more apt to struggle at the plate. So I I would go... Casas, I'm going to rank them in order, Jonathan, and you have to rank them in order also. I don't I I have Cassis, to do no such Young. thing. Don't I would tell go me Cassis, what to do. Young, Tovar, Beatty. And and I I mean, I love Bray Beatty going back to his draft, yep. but um, I just think he's got, like, he's had a great spring too. I just think he has more roadblocks, so that will lessen his impact compared to the other guys.
1: Brother Louis, just take Young. He, he's interested in fantasy impact, and you guys are answering it the other way around. Uh, well, okay. You know he wants to know about the fantasy impact take Young and, and be done with it. Why Young over Cassus? Positional value, but if yeah. we're
0: talking fantasy impact,
1: Tovar's a shortstop
0: and he steals bases, so I think it becomes more muddled. Alright, mm-hmm.
1: right, Brother Louis, thank you very much for that question. Brother Kate Horton, Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to us on the podcast and uh, to all the brothers and sisters out there. Thank you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. So you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.